Good morning, Westview. My name is Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here, and so great to be able to gather together to worship, to spend a few moments here in God's Word. We've been spending time over the past few weeks in this series uh, looking at what does leadership look like in these times where we find ourselves in this liminal space, this word liminal coming from uh, the Latin meaning threshold, this time in our lives where we perhaps as individuals, but we as a church here at Westview have found ourselves in this in-between season. This idea of like if you're driving a manual gearbox car and you're shifting from one gear into the other and that in-between space, that's that liminal space. This moment where you, you still have forward momentum, but you're not quite in a gear. And so this week, I wanted to look at a New Testament story of leadership transition. And this morning, we're going to spend some time looking at the Apostle Paul and his protege, Timothy. I want to say a huge thanks to Rob Ogilvie, who's our executive minister, who came last week to share a little bit of what pastoral leadership transition looks like when it doesn't go well. Uh, because I think there are sometimes in our lives, maybe for you, certainly for me, where we don't always learn our lessons when simply things go well. That sometimes things have to go awry before we really begin to learn our lessons. And Rob reminded us last week that even when things go wrong, what is of the utmost importance is for us to always keep our eyes focused on Christ. And again, I think that's what we remind ourselves of as we jump into our sermon this morning. I'm excited to look at this relationship between Paul and Timothy, but before we dive in any further this morning, let's pray this morning, church. Jesus, I thank you for your leadership, for the example that we can follow. And I pray today, Lord, as we enter into this passage, this story of Paul and Timothy, that we would learn much of what it looks like, that we would celebrate when things go well, and that we would live and apply these truths to our lives as well. And so I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to invite you, if you haven't already grabbed them, there are sermon notes on our website. You can just hit pause right now, and if you want to download those and use those to better engage in uh, this sermon, you're welcome to do so. Uh, but our first point this morning is looking at Paul's relationship, specifically Paul's relationship with Timothy. If I look back upon all of the transitions of leadership that, that I've personally experienced, uh, what stands out to me from all the other relationships um, was something that I experienced in those moments of transition. And maybe it's better asked as a question this morning, and it is this. What makes for a successful transition of leadership? I would say the answer to that question is a great relationship. And I think that's the case because leadership at its core is such a highly relational thing. You can't have leadership without relationship because as I said before, if you don't have that intimacy, that connection of relationship in leadership, really all you've got is a dictatorship. And some of the greatest leaders that I have had the privilege of serving under, I think, lived this truth out. What do I mean by this? Well, what I mean is, see, their lives haven't always been easy. They've experienced trials. They've endured hardships. But by the grace of God, these leaders that have mentored me have emerged out the other side. 
And when you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, I feel you gain an even more significant appreciation for him, for what he experienced, for what he endured, and how by the grace of God, this grace significantly impacted his life and has impacted the lives now of us through his teachings. So let's look at a picture of Paul's life. And, and we read in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 1, 13 to 14. If you've got your Bibles, uh, I encourage you to follow along. The scriptures will be on the screen as well. We read, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul, this apostle to the Gentiles, was born in Tarsus, capital city of the Roman province of Sicilia in Southeast Asia Minor. He was a strict Pharisee who was educated at the feet of Gamaliel. We first find him here in Jerusalem, where he was present and consented even to the death of the Christian martyr Stephen. And you can look that up in Acts 8.1. He then began a vicious campaign of persecution against Christians. And then, as Paul traveled the road to Damascus, he suddenly saw this blinding light fell to the ground and began to hear Jesus speak. He was then led by hand blind to Damascus where a Christian man named Ananias met him. Then we read in Acts 9 where Paul was cured of his blindness, believed in Jesus, and was baptized. What Paul's life helps us to recognize is that God's grace is just that. It's unmerited, it's undeserved, it's unearned. And, and Paul's life is one marked by the grace of God. There's a story that perhaps you've heard before, but I think it best fits with our sermon this morning. Once there was this large conference of religious experts from all over the world gathered to debate what belief was unique to Christianity. They were hoping to find what single truth sets the Christian faith apart from others, or if that single piece even existed. As the experts debated, they threw out some possibilities. Incarnation? No, other religions have gods appearing as humans. Perhaps resurrection? Again, this was overruled since several religions claim that somebody sometime came back from the dead. The intriguing discussion continued until C.S. Lewis entered the room, inquiring, what's the rumpus all about? The experts shared that they were comparing Christianity's unique contribution to other religions around the world. Oh, that's easy, he said. It's grace. You can read this story in uh, Philip Yancey's book, What's So Amazing About Grace, but C.S. Lewis here, apparently, in this story, declares that Christianity's unique contribution, what sets it apart is grace. And I think what flowed out of Paul's life is a direct result of the overflowing work of God himself in and through this apostle. Max Lucado, uh, an incredible author, said it well. He said this, grace is God's best idea. His decision to ravage a people by love, to rescue passionately and to restore justly, what rivals it? Of all his wondrous works, grace in my estimation, is the magnum opus. 
leaders who experience this radical, life-altering grace, I feel, are naturally going to extend that to those in which they have a relationship with, where they share their lives with others. So let's look a bit more at this individual that Paul poured his life into, and namely that is Timothy. We get a picture of Timothy's life by a number of scriptures in the New Testament. We'll put those on the screen. Paul commends the heritage of faith that Timothy's family instilled on him. In 2 Timothy 1.5, we read, I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul also commends Timothy in Acts 16.1-3. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived whose mother was Jewish and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along on the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And Paul commends Timothy again in his letter to the church at Philippi in Philippians 2.22. But you know that Timothy has proved himself, because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. So Paul here shares that Timothy himself labored with the Apostle Paul in the business of making known the good news of the gospel. Through the whole course of his preaching, Paul calls Timothy not only his beloved dear son, but also his brother, this companion of his labors and a man of God. Timothy's mother and grandmother each played a significant role in his discipleship, in his spiritual upbringing. And I don't think Timothy's story is too far off, perhaps, from many of our stories, your story as well. I know that many of you watching this morning or whenever it is that you are watching this, that your faith as well was profoundly influenced by your mother or your grandmother, by some woman of God who committed her life to helping raise you and teach you in the scriptures. And for that, we give thanks. I don't know about you, but I have found myself many times drawn to the story, drawn to the life of Timothy, especially in my early years of pastoral ministry. Perhaps because of myself being a young pastor, leader, husband, father, I knew that there were areas in my life where I was still wet behind the ears, as I guess they used to say. And there were those who were more seasoned in their faith journey, in their roles as pastors and leaders, who spoke the truth in love into my life, who challenged me, who admonished me, and who reminded me of what was truly important. And that's what I want to look at next. Our second point this morning are these, are these reminders from Paul. I shared part of the story, I think, in a previous sermon in this series, but I wanted to expand a bit more upon it this morning. Way back when I first began in pastoral ministry, back in the suburbs of Vancouver, uh, one of the requirements of being a pastor in this church was to go through the, the credentialing, the ordination process with them to be able to be licensed to perform weddings and whatnot. And so one of the roles that I had to do was to go before this council, this um, kind of sea of humanity of all of these men and women, far more educated, far more intelligent, 
far more scary uh, than I felt I was. And I had to go before them and kind of defend my theology in this kind of positional paper that I had written. Needless to say, it was an incredibly nerve-wracking experience. And to be honest with you, this morning I was a bit unprepared for what laid ahead. And things did not go as well as I had intended. It wasn't like I failed or anything. Don't hear me when I say that. But the council wanted me to, to receive a bit more coaching, a bit more mentoring, to, to grow in my ability to articulate what I believed. So they set me up with a mentor for the next year to kind of walk me through some things, to kind of help me be able to best articulate clearly what it was that I knew to be true. To challenge me in what I believed and to remind me always of what was truly the most important thing. To help me grow in my personal maturity and in my spiritual maturity, much like what Paul here is doing to Timothy. My friend, uh, as we sat down and had breakfast that morning at the white spot there in Langley, shared two scriptures with me, and these have stuck with me for many, many years. The first one is 1 Timothy 4.12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you were young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I mean, I'm pretty sure this is a scripture that anyone who is younger in their Christian journey has heard at some point. I mean, I don't even know if you can call yourself a Christian in youth group without someone teaching you and telling you about these scriptures. This is an incredible scripture to help a young generation understand their place, their role, their capacity to be leaders now. Not just like I shared a few weeks ago about this idea of, of students in their young years being the church of tomorrow. No, you're the church of today. But there was another verse as well that this mentor shared with me as we were there having our white spot breakfast. Just a few verses later in 1 Timothy 4.16. Watch your life and your doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You see, Paul had several reminders for his protege, Timothy. And throughout his letters, many of these were written down as these trustworthy sayings. You see this throughout the scriptures. I've highlighted three for us this morning, but there are a number of them, and they're on the screen. 1 Timothy 1.15, here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. A few chapters later in chapter 3, verse 1, here is a trustworthy saying. Whoever aspires to be an overseer desires a noble task. And in the next chapter, 1 Timothy 4, 8-10, for physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. So question, why are these trustworthy? What about these scriptures and the other ones that Paul mentions throughout these letters? What makes them trustworthy? Well, I think if we're to look at these scriptures, these trustworthy sayings sum up the mission, vision, and values of Paul. Maybe that's leadership language from our current culture, but, but truly these verses encapsulates all that Paul believed deep down in his gut. And Paul recognizes in himself and in future leaders 
But there are two main arenas that we need to be aware of and aligned in in order for us to see success as we transition leadership from one generation to the next. And they're on the screen, and they're this, orthodoxy and orthopraxy. Now let me understand, unpack these, sorry, for us this morning. Orthodoxy is this language of right belief, meaning what we know to be true, to be right. That there needs to be this assurance that what Timothy believes aligns not just with what Paul believes, but what is found in the scriptures. And I think it's the same for us, that what we are to believe comes from the word of God, not just from the culture around us. And the second thing is this idea of orthopraxy, this idea of right living, that we don't just have this cerebral, this intellectual pursuit of our faith, but that we actually live it out as well. That we live out the teachings of Christ in, in the everyday stuff of life, in our homes, in our schools, in our jobs, as we just walk about the streets doing life that we're careful to watch our life and our doctrine, like it says there in 1 Timothy 4. You see, Paul understood that for this to be a successful transition of leadership from his life to Timothy, that he had to grasp these things. Timothy had to be able to understand this in his life, and we do as well. Perhaps the best scripture that helps encapsulate these two kind of fundamental beliefs here is spoken in 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 5. Let me read it for us. In the presence of God and of Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead, and in view of his appearing and his kingdom, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. But you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, discharge all the duties of your ministry. You see, at the end of the day for Paul, he didn't care about the things of the world. What Paul cared about was what God told him, what God's called him. Paul didn't care about the number of followers on his TikTok or his Instagram. He didn't get sidetracked by the teachings of this world telling us to believe in something that we know is not true as we find it in the word of God. Paul didn't care about his house, about his car, about his jobs. None of these things that our world tells us, that's where we find our identity and that's where we find our purpose and that's what gives us our identity. You see, because our Western individualistic mindset tells us that where we find our identity, what's to drive the core of our being is this pursuit of our, our best life now to believe in ourselves, to dig down deep into our gut and just be the best we can be. But what Paul understood, what he's telling Timothy and what he's reminding us 
was that this isn't the case. Paul knew full well what was important, what truly mattered. And he's reminding Timothy of it here, and he's reminding us of it as well this morning, that what we believe and how we live has got to align with what the Bible says. What truly matters is this, church, and I think it's two things. It's this, it's to preach the word. That what you and I are called to as followers of Jesus is to make him known, is to tell about him. However that is possible, however we have capacity in this season that we find ourselves in, that we're supposed to make known the good news of Jesus. This is what will draw others to him. This will draw us closer to Jesus as we make him known, as we make him big, as we make him famous. And the second thing that's tied right behind this is to live out that faith, to be patient, to demonstrate Christ-likeness, to, to endure hardship. This is the life that we're called to as followers of Jesus. And this is what Paul is reminding Timothy in our passage this morning. And this brings us, I think, to our last point, our response to this. I guess the question I have for us as we begin to wrap up this morning is, is just this. Who are we investing in? What lives are we pouring ourselves out into? And why is this such an important question? Well, this might not be the pep talk portion of our sermon, so just, just bear with me for a moment. But I think the reason why this is such an important question, why we need to ask ourselves whose lives are we investing in, is because of this. We're going to die. Now, I know, you're like, thanks, Ty. Like, that's just really like a downer. But, but hear me out. Our lives, our time on earth, it's limited. I mean, I'm about to hit 40 next month. And so like I'm becoming to become aware, I think, more of my own mortality. And some of you are like, get over yourself. But it's true. Our time on earth is limited. And what we do with that reflects, I think, the desires of our hearts. I mean, what I want more than anything else as a father, as a husband, but especially in the lives of my two kids, is for them to understand the importance of following Jesus. I mean, my kids are not going to get a large inheritance. Their dad's a pastor. They're not getting rich off me. There's no way. But what I do want is to deposit in them an inheritance of faith, this legacy of faith. Much like what Paul commended Timothy that he received from his mother and from his grandmother. This idea of making known the good news of Jesus so that others make known the good news of Jesus and then others make known the good news of Jesus. So how can we apply these truths to our lives? Well, maybe it's best to be asked this way, church. Who is one person that we can intentionally mentor to seek to invest in in the next little while? I want to encourage you. I want to challenge you with that. I want you to, to have to wrestle through this over the next few days. Now, this might be difficult given the times we're in because it's even impossible for many of us to still gather together, but I want to encourage you to pray about that. Who is someone that you can begin to pour yourself into, to invest into, to mentor, to share your life with? 
You see, in 2 Timothy 1, 6-9a and 13-14, we read this. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. And then a few verses later, what you heard from me keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. You see, these words of Paul are directed first and foremost to Timothy, but they're also directed to us of how our lives ought to be fueled by the Spirit, bathed in prayer, and unashamed of the gospel. You see, I think when we live our lives like this, we begin to see fruit. I feel that the reason why this was such a successful transition of leadership from Paul's life to his protege, Timothy, was because Paul reminded Timothy of this. It's, well, it's a quote now that has been shared by an author named Stephen Covey, but the principle is this. It's the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. Now, Stephen Covey is an incredible guru of modern leadership, but his quote again, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. And the main thing for Paul was that he desired Timothy to preach the gospel and to live the gospel, to make Jesus big in everything, to be courageous and strong, to, to fan into flame this gift of God, and to live a life unashamed of the gospel, this message of hope of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came to earth, who lived the perfect life, this life you and I could never live, who then died the death we should have died as a punishment for sin, to, to atone for sin, to make right for sin, so that we then could receive that forgiveness of our sins and experience eternal life in Jesus. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That whoever believes in Jesus receives this eternal life, will not perish and can live this life of abundance, of joy, and of purpose. Not just this best life now mantra, but the best life ever. Because it's a life in Christ. You see, the story of Paul and Timothy helps us to see what the purpose of life is, what the plan for our lives ought to be. That our lives are always to be one looking ahead looking at that next generation of leadership and helping them to know the good news of the gospel so that then they tell others who tell others who tell others who tell others who tell others. It's discipleship. It's what it means to follow Christ. And with this baton in hand, we prepare to pass it on to the next generation who will take it and run the race marked out for them. And that's what we'll look at next week. Pray with me, church. Jesus, I thank you 
for your word here that we can spend time in that speaks to us still today. Thank you for the example of Paul and Timothy, this man who came alongside this younger leader to remind him and to remind us to preach the good news, to make known the good news of the gospel, to share it with others, and to live it out as well. Help us in these days to come, in these days ahead, to do just that, to live an unashamed life, that we would fan into flame our faith. Spirit, thank you for your presence and power within us. Help us to do just this, to love you, to love others, to make you known, to make you big, Jesus, this week. And I pray this in your name.